So you just started selling the photos you got? Uh, no, so I got the, uh, it's a Nikon D80. Okay. And my parents, uh, like it was my dad's, and I got invited to work at somewhere, and then I started, like, the person I took pictures for. Mm -hmm. Like, I was just volunteering one day, they're like, we actually can't take these without paying you because we're going to use them for promotion and they're actually really good. Oh, okay. <laughs> like, we'd like to pay you, buy the, mm. buy the rights to these images off you. I'm like, sweet, this is a piece of crap 8 megapixel D60 camera from 2007. Jesus. Cool. I'm sure I shouldn't be. But, anyways. <laughs> ah, so, so, when that happened then, do you find with being with photography being a hobby of yours, because you it's a hobby of yours, right? Yeah. It's a lot of passion, right? But do you feel when you're paid for it, you don't enjoy it as much? It takes the hobby side out of it, or? Uh, it really depends. Like, I've had some really cool opportunities for, for like, shoots. Like, I've done some a lot of stuff with Earth Dancers in Dance Ontario. Okay. And that's cool. been really, like, more or less, like, over time, it gets really kind of boring uh, for me to just take pictures of dancers all the time. Right. But it was cool because sometimes they gave yeah. me like creative license to too. Like, hey, we really want to see how you can edit these and make like some cool oh, stuff. Okay, cool. And then I've done some really cool shoots. Uh, yeah. I've done some whitewater paddling stuff, and that's always my favorite because nice. I love whitewater paddling. I've done shoots for art climbing, and uh, like that's a student associations. But like, I find the ones that kind of it can be really repetitive and boring, just taking like clicking a button and right. editing a photo, sending it to somebody. Yeah. But you can make it fun. Like I, I did a couple family shoots back in nice. around Mother's Day. And with that, they were absolutely awesome to work with because the family itself were really engaging and it's fun to. Oh, okay. It's that one-on-one -on -one personal interaction with people that's the fun part, not not the actual. All right, done. Point and click part, edit it. Yeah. So is that how you find it's more creative when you do it with people in terms of families or stuff like that instead of just? Yeah. If I can actually like, there's some kind of attachment to the photos. Right. Like I like one of my photos I took with that family was like one of my favorite photos I ever taken because you can really see the. You see the emotion, you can see like the love that they have for each right. other and how much it like really shines through in the photo and I love mm -hmm. that I can capture that and give it to them. Ah, that's cool. Give them to that. It's a good way of looking at it. Yeah. Yeah, man, that's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Wow. So how'd you get into photography? Um, I was in grade 12 at uh, St. Ben's and my teacher made us do a thing called the 20 time project. Oh yeah, I'm familiar. Yeah, we have a friend of mine. Talia. Yeah. Uh, Shout out to her. Talia again. Watching. Awesome. She follows, but she's not probably not watching. Um, we had to do a 20% um, uh, like of our time and not a, I always was inspired by like National Geographic photographers and all this stuff I'm like, my, and I knew my dad had a camera I'm like alright let's go out and learn it and it's like I spent all my time just learning how to take pictures mm -hmm. like learning how a camera worked and like what ISO is, what aperture is, shutter speed all these things and how they work together and I made a blog about it, uh, like pretty much how to get into photography if you're stupid like me. It's like how to. Like, Is that the name of it? No, it was like just like decobla photo photo yeah. blog or something like that. But like more original. I think the uh, like the first blog post was like photography for idiots, and it's like pretty much like here it is, absolutely simple. Nice. And with that, I, I challenged myself to get a whole bunch of different styles of photos, and I really pushed myself and just I probably spent like two hours taking pictures a night. Wow. And I think probably I like two. I still have two of those photos out of the thousands. I just really like it's. It was a good time, but I really like it was. It was a good time learning, but it was a strenuous, problem, like a lot of repetitive stuff. But yeah. I had a ton of fun. Now I can take some pretty fun shots. Did you make it? So you made the blog. The blog was your way of documenting, documenting it, yeah. sharing it. Okay, right. Because I remember 
Italian did it. Talia did hers with Instagram. Yeah. Uh, and that was pretty cool because mm-hmm. I was in a few of them, so like yeah. those ones a little more biased towards those ones, but nice. You're, yeah, we'll put that distri- uh, description link or link in the description for you because I want. I don't even things. know if that blog is still no. active anymore. I haven't. No? Touched, I haven't touched that in years. I find I've been do- documenting a lot more. I have an Instagram page, Be Cobla Photos. Okay. And that's where I've been. Like I started posting right after the Twenty Time Project was done. Nice. Once you learned it all and you can yeah, and like, I, I mastered it. It's really cool because I like looking back and seeing some of the photos I took when I just started out right. to some of the photos I take now. It's like it's like I was I was always fascinated by nighttime shots of cars and stuff like that moving, and like how it, like how light light works over the course of time. Right. And a lot of my photos at the start were just taking like uh, long exposures of cars and stars. Cool. And then now it's like. I find a lot of them were like had a really orange hue to them and stuff like that. And now it's like I can make that perfect. Like I can go and take pictures of the stars. And it's really cool. Two and a half years later, seeing how much everything's changed. Do you have like a specific photo that you enjoy? Like, what's your favorite photo that you've ever captured? I've got a couple that I really like. Um, I've had. I got one of my friend uh, Eric at this summer camp I was working at, and it's him with his telescope. He's looking up at the stars. And it's like, I set the camera right at grass level, so mm-hmm. it's below his back. Nice. And it was a beautiful starry night in Maine. Do you have the photo? I do. I yeah. want to see this. Um, yeah, so you said in Maine? Uh, in Minden. Oh, in Minden. Yeah. Cool. Um, and we looked up at the stars, and it was just like, it's him like that. Like, that's the. Oh, shit. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Damn. Okay, that's a pretty sweet shot. Yeah, I love taking pictures like that. Pretty sweet shot, and yeah, that was like one of my one of my favorites uh, series. And then this is probably my second one. I'm a really avid canoe tripper and working on that front. And then I oh uh, damn, I snagged this one on a uh, Dudney Lake, uh, just kind of like that's so cool northeast of Sudbury. Damn. Oh man, because I want to show you um, a couple. Actually, I'll show you mine from my account with my buddy. My buddy would take photos of me back when he was in Sudbury, and he's taken a few pretty sweet nighttime ones okay. at my cell, so I'm just gonna find those real quick. Um, here's my favorite one that he took. That's a sick shot. Yeah, yeah. he's unreal with those ones. That's, yeah, like that's like very much my style. Like, oh shit! Just that nighttime <laughs> like star long exposure stuff. That's pretty sweet. That was like, I think that was like a, only a 15 seconds. Yeah. And it was like not a very wide aperture. It was just showing how bright the, bright the stars were. If I had it open for any longer, it would have just completely like, we were in a city that had like one traffic light and no like no city lights. So oh, it was like, perfect. it's like, and there's no like, light pollution. Closest town was like Halliburton, which is 30K away. Yeah, and still there's like maybe 18 people there. Yeah, there's like no one in Halliburton. Just and then taxi drivers. It's just summer camp yeah. and cottages. Pretty like much, that. yeah. It's cottage country. That's crazy, man. Uh, remind me after the show, I'll link you up with um, my buddy James because he's very, like, we'll, we'd go on adventures together and shit, and then when we'd go on these adventures, he'd just be taking photos, and that's the similar style. Mm-hmm. We were out till probably, as you can imagine, like, you don't just go at 11 o'clock at night no. and take those photos. Actually, for me, the prime time to take star photos is between like 10.30 and uh, 10.30 and like 11.30. That's in the earlier summer just because of the position of the, right. the, the moon drops down a little lower and then okay. it comes back up. I find if the moon's too high, you get too much uh, bleed. 
So I and you either gotta go earlier in the night or late at night. Yeah, so and like you gotta go like at two or three. Yeah, we went at like one thirty and then stayed. Like if now. you can go at like if you have the kind of that drive, you can get up at like maybe two like three o'clock, four o'clock, and go up right at the end because then the the moon's gone and the sun's about to come, so you get a bit of a hue to the sky. Yeah, that sounds pretty cool. Do you have any photos like that? Uh, not that I can think about. Like I. I think I may have one or two um, like hide around on my laptop. Hard part is with like long exposure, like nighttime photography, yeah. is it just most of the time it doesn't work out the way you want it to. Because mm-hmm. like you get a little bump in the tripod, the wind sets it off like slightly, and then you get a little bit of jiggle, and it's like as soon as you get that, it's like the stars like start to shake a bit. Mm-hmm. It's, it doesn't make it as nice of a photo. Cool. Man, I think you'd really get along with my buddy James, specifically in the photography aspect, because it sounds like your style of shooting is yeah. similar to his. From what I'm yeah, that's what I'm... So, that's pretty cool though, wow. So, <coughs> you mentioned for adventures and like trips you go on, you're in ADVL, right? Yeah, I'm third year outdoor adventure leadership. I'm also in teacher's college with that. Shit. So how does that, how does that work, the balance between the two? Um, so, what's your week like typically? Yeah, so like, the cool thing is Laurentian University offers a outdoor adventure leadership program, which is one of the best in North America, and it's. Uh, but it also has a, a concurrent education program, mm-hmm. meaning so you can take a degree like um, you can take a degree like English, and while you're getting your English degree, you actually take a couple extra. Um, you take a couple extra courses a, like a semester. Like uh, during last year, I had. While I was taking my wilderness first aid and mm-hmm. uh, sorry wilderness first responder course and outdoor education uh, course, I was also taking a education and schooling course on mm-hmm. top of that. On top of the stuff that we need to take for uh, since it's under the school of human kinetics, we have to take physiology, anatomy, and all that stuff. So a typical week would look like I have phys, anatomy, or whatever course it was that semester. Mm-hmm. Generally, some spe- uh, specific outdoor courses, like first semester was uh, I had to take. Uh, wilderness first response, Jeez. which is a sounds like a a long course. It was heavy course. It's a heavy course. It's an eighty-hour certification course, and it's pretty much how to keep somebody alive for two days when they're uh, two days two days um, using whatever you can. And then I also take, but then on top of that, you have to take an educa- education courses. Nice. So uh, ideally, it's 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 five years, and you mm-hmm. get two separate bachelor's degrees. One of human, uh, one of uh, physical health and education. And one of them is in uh, just purely education. Nice. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Wow. So why did you choose this program? Honestly, for me, there was like no other choice. Like I, I applied for two programs, and I got into uh, I applied for, I think it's outdoor recreation and parks over at Lakehead University in Thunder Bay. Nice. Got a killer, like offer to go there, and it was seemed like a good time. But Laurentian is their ADVL program is like. Yeah, second, second to none. Like yeah. there's like maybe one university out in BC called Thompson Rivers that beats it. Yeah, but Thompson River it's a different kind of school. Uh, and but ADVL program with Laurentian, especially with the Con Ed, is creates some of the highest quality uh, outdoor professionals in the world. Yeah. It's like the equivalent to becoming like a security guard compared to a police officer. You can go to college real quick uh, and get that okay. get that certification, or you can spend a little bit of extra time and you get the. So I figured that for me, setting up a career in the outdoor industry, this would be the best pathway to go. Right. It's always been my dream. I, 
I knew it wouldn't be the one that makes the most money, but it'd be the one that I had the most fun and have. Yeah, like, and that's really what you want. Live the dream, really. Yeah, yeah, like if, and that's where, and like I had on a couple weeks, George, <coughs> shout out to him, <coughs> excuse me. He mentioned, because I asked him, he's like, I was like, where does money fit into like, because he's a professional basketball player, yeah. right? And so he makes good money, but it's, it's also not like Ferrari type, yeah. like driving around Ferrari type money. I think very few professions allow you to do that. And so asking him, he was like, well, you have to val- like find out how much does money mean to you? Yeah. Because if there's a bunch of people who they really enjoy it, for example, like my brother's very like materialistically motivated and that's like, that's fine. That's yeah. him, but I'm not. Yeah. Right. It's like, I don't care about new shirts every two weeks. Like, it's not really my thing. I don't care what brand I'm wearing. As long as it fits, I'm okay with it. Whatever I can get the cheapest. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like whatever works, whatever Whatever's going to last long and <laughs> it doesn't cost me a fortune. I'm going to like... And if it's Patagonia, right? Wait, Patagonia offers fair trade stuff, which is... That's my big yeah. incentive. They last forever and the products are all actually ethical. They're ethically treated. In fact, the factories, they use organic, uh, all organic cotton. So like no no preservatives okay. and, and stuff like that. And then as uh, as far as it goes for... Uh, all their staff are well, like incredibly well treated. That's why like uh, the treatment of people is a huge thing for me. Right. So I'm okay with spending like okay, I'd spend twenty five dollars on a shirt somewhere else, and Patagonia's thirty bucks. The shirt itself is gonna last forever, and and it's gonna. So there's a couple companies yeah, like yeah. that that I'll spend that little bit of extra money on because I know it'll last right. longer, but not be uh, and it's like it's just a little bit more expensive. Yeah, it's worth it. Yeah, it's so like overall, overall. <laughs> so you mentioned something before we like right before we got going about. <clears throat> Specifically off Patagonia, do you find people mention that when you have like you buy brands specifically yeah. outdoor outdoor brands? Do you find people are a lot of like bandwagon brands where they hop on, they see a brand, they're like, oh, this makes me adventurous now. Yeah, yeah. The big there's the big ones right now is Patagonia and Fjell Raven. Fjell Raven makes those super cute like backpacks that every girl you know has right now. And I have one myself. I was given one as a gift. Um, it was a gift. It was a gift. It was a gift. Shout out to Chloe Simic for that one. Uh, <laughs> but they also, the, people think like, oh, I'm adventurous now. It's that Instagram kind of, it's that look at me generation of people that is like, I'm going to put on this stuff and that's going to be my, that's going to be my persona. Not people like myself, my roommate and all the other people I trip with. We wear the Fjell Raven pants just because they're the most functional pants you can wear. They're not gonna rip on us, they're gonna be comfortable. They're gonna not get wet, they're gonna dry really quickly. They're gonna be just all around a really functional outerwear. Not the, oh man, we need we need Fjell Raven because it has that name on it. Right. If Oakley started making a pant like that, I'd start wearing it. If Calvin Klein started making a pair of pants like that, maybe not that point. Yeah. If, if like any company made on. a pair of pants or like anything like that, it's like, don't be the brand loyalist. Be the one that's going to be the most functional for what you're doing. That's my approach to it. Like I'm not. I have Arteryx. I have Patagonia. I have yeah. Marmot. All these high-end companies. Right. But it's just for the fact that I need. I need the quality out of it for what I'm doing. Right. And that's why the jackets are in the upwards of a few hundred dollars. Yeah. Like you can spend a thousand dollars on an Arteryx coat. I I didn't get mine for that price. I got mine on not on a really nice pro deal, but. It's, I, I have it and I ice climb with it, I rock climb, I right. will drag metal stuff across it and all, all that stuff and it's never ripped on me, it's never, like, it's because if I bought the cheaper coat, I'd need to buy four of those for the one of, right. the one I have. Fair. Oh, it's just the stuff I love to talk about. Yeah? Oh, I can tell. I'll 
I'll listen all day. <laughs> That's what I find with podcasting specifically, though, is now everyone wants everyone wants to hear themselves talk. Whether you just people just don't really know how to admit it, mm-hmm. so I'm just like, well, I'll take a different approach and listen. Yeah, for change, especially when people talk about stuff that they love and they're mm-hmm. interested in and they're passionate about. Like with you in photography, I just sat there. I said maybe six words in ten minutes. Yeah, and I was like, oh, cool. No, yeah, two of them. So <laughs> that's impressive, though. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. But so, what was the pro deal? Uh, I I worked in gear stores my whole life. Oh, okay. I've worked in gear stores, and then I'm also certified through Paddle Canada and a couple other different associations, CUI for challenge coursework, right. and all these places offer uh, certain pro deals for staff. Okay, so like cool. instead of, a lot of people, places, if you're working at a gear store, they're gonna want, uh, the companies that sell their stuff want you to be wearing it. No retail worker making $14 an hour is gonna buy a $900 coat. When they offer them that coat for 150 bucks, they'll be like, yeah, I'll take it. So you have an Arcteryx jacket. I paid about $200 for Valued at what? $990. Yo, 80% off. I would have never bought it. Uh, if, no, no, no. That's so- I, I, like, I'd, I'd, I'd find whatever the next best thing was that was durable in my price point. Mm. That's incredible. Yeah. And you're like, sign me up. I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll take that. Yeah, easy. So you said you want to be a professional paddle guy. Um, yeah. So in general, like I, I've always had kind of a dream of starting like a, a guide company out of Sudbury. Cool. Um, Sudbury has 320 lakes in the city and then right from outside of city limits is Tomogamy. Outside of there is French river, um, Spanish river, uh, all these, I don't know if I said Clarence, but there's so many provincial parks in national areas, like really close proximity to Sudbury. Right. And we're doing, uh, like, the thing is, is there's not one dedicated guide company that I know that's solely devoted to separate, which okay. kind of sucks. We're hiring people from down south. Right. So which ones are we currently, I guess, affiliated with? Um, that are kind of pulling in? Yes. Uh, we're pulling in from a good guy named uh, Amir Fishman. Uh, his, uh, his company is called Overhang Adventures. Absolutely awesome company. Uh, he's an ADBL grad, actually. Really, really cool guy. Cool. Um, and then we're pulling in like a whole bunch of like freelance people from out uh, down uh, south. I know my prof's wife has a an all female guide company, which is absolutely amazing. Like all females run it. Yeah, all yeah. females run it, and then it's all just like uh, trips for women. They run trips internationally too. Oh, cool! So really cool. Like that's sick. Her name's uh, Jenny, and it's just unreal. Like the stuff she runs. She's is, your boss's wife. Uh, no, she's my uh, prof's 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 wife, the program okay. coordinator. Uh, absolutely awesome stuff. Um, but yeah, there's no real guide companies like I know I think Mho Adventures does and a couple other places like do trips like in the area right. and maybe like a couple trips out of Clarny Outfitters, but there's no actual dedicated canoe tripping guides to Sudbury. I kind of pitched this idea a couple of years ago called 4681 Adventures. Uh, is yeah. the uh, 4681 being the general coordinate coordinate, coordinate yeah. of Sudbury. Yeah, so and I want to create a um, my dream is to create this kind of like um, this platform where we can like pull in guides and they'll be running out of Sudbury so offered on a contract basis because nice. there's people are spending so much money to go travel in Algonquin Park yeah. and all this stuff when they don't realize the beauty that is like there's a, a lake in Sudbury called uh, just outside of Sudbury called Matagamas Sea. Yeah, man, the gas. Yeah, and then Wolf That's Lake's right off of yeah. there and Chinaguchi and. All these other waterways, Surgeon River's right there. Amazing pat, like some of the world's best paddling. I did a trip on the mountain, I guess. Yeah, you did the loop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, sick! It's a sweet loop. I've mm-hmm. uh, done it. 
I think I've done that loop about nine times now, nine or ten times now. I've done about 15 different trips to that area. Oh, it's a nice area though. It's so nice. like that. It's a, such a beautiful spot. So we have all these areas, but we don't have anybody that's guiding to them. Right. So we, it gives, it doesn't give like the regular person the, like that opportunity to check it out. Mm -hmm. I love the idea of sharing by sharing this beautiful landscape with other people. It's a good like it's passion. It sounds passion driven. Yeah, specifically. So, so do you find? Do you want to do? Be a paddle guide and lead trips for a certain amount of time to acquire that experience to then build the platform. Um, right now it's kind of like weird balance. Like I've I've talked with other guides and it would be like we could be just running it as like kind of like a cooperative. Like I'd be like the sole provider of the business and I offer it to people to be like, oh, hey, like, I'm going to offer you a two-week contract to do this trip. Most, nice. most, of the gui most of the guiding work in Canada is done based on a just contract work. Right. So however long the clients want to be on trip for, you hire yeah, them it's like, like, right. a couple of days before, a couple of days after. Yeah, we do like, okay, you get two days of trip prep beforehand. Right. And so 10 this. days you hire them yeah. two weeks. Yeah, and that kind of, that kind of feel. Um, and you just give them contracts based on like the, you, on a per trip basis. Nice. Um, I think that's probably the best way to do it. Like, there's not much regulation in, in Canada right now as far as outdoor, the outdoor industry goes in that regard. Yeah. Actually, Ontario just released a minimum wage for, for uh, wilderness guides right now, which is really cool. It's a big step. Okay, what is it? Um, for like, a, a work day for a guide is very different than a work day for somebody else. You can't pay them $14 an hour because they're out there 24 hours a day. Right. And they're oftentimes all their expenses are paid as well. But the minimum, people are sometimes ripping off these people. They're paying them like $90 for, like they're out there for 24 hours a day, which is ridiculous. Yeah. Um, the new standard is you need to pay at least $140 a day wow. to a guide, which That's is, incredible. in my mind, still on the low end of things. I think right. it should be like 150, 170. Right. For all their knowledge and like when shit hits the fan. The, the amount of time that somebody needs to put into uh, getting their getting like what I would say is relevant experience to guide is really like I'm not even at that point yet I've done thousands of kilometers of canoeing but I'm still not fully at that certification level that I need that I would say I'm, I'm proficient enough to be a professional canoeing guide uh, in order to do that it's hours and hours and like you, you gotta spend at work over years and you gotta spend so much money to get where you are right wow mm -hmm. so when you were when you finish the program in a few years you, do you believe, yes or no, that you'll have that experience? Yes. Yeah? Yeah. So, um, you need to have an NLS. Yeah. In my opinion, you should, uh, like, not put all, everywhere requires that. I think people should have an NLS just because mm -hmm. it makes sense if you're swimming. Yeah, anything near water just kind of gives you more of a confidence and more of a, like, that platform of general knowledge. Yeah. Take it out. Because first aid doesn't really apply yeah. in the water. Well, it's a different... Yeah, different animals. Exactly. Um, and then I think they do a, a minimum a wilderness first aid course, which is a 40 hour course. And then the uh, I would prefer something like a 80 hour woofer course, like the wilderness first responder, first responder yeah. like I talked about earlier. And then the relevant paddling cert. So if it's a kayaking trip, whether that'd be like a maybe sea kayaking instructor yeah. one, or if it's a canoeing cert, like would be like a canoe, canoe tripping instructor one from Orca, or like an Orca 4 certification yeah. or Paddle Canada, like canoe tripping three. Something like something like those certs. I think it's just really awesome to be have guides that are certified. Unfortunately, there was an incident in Algonquin Park about two years ago where a child died over this over underqualified people. 
and so that's why I'm, I'm huge on the idea of people getting relevant certifications mm-hmm. and all this stuff. It was with the Toronto District School Board, a kid named Jeremiah Perry drowned in Algonquin Park when he really had should not have drowned. Right. It shouldn't like it shouldn't have never happened. So what can you refresh people and myself what happened? From your from yeah, what from, you know. uh, from like what the reports I've read have been is they were on Big Trout Lake in uh, which is in Algonquin Park. Uh, and it was a, uh, it was a high not a, I think it may have been yeah, early high school outdoor education class. Okay. And they did a canoe trip and they went into Big Trout Lake and a couple of them a lot of the students didn't pass their swim tests but still went on the trip, which is absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. That should be a no go. It yeah. should be a no go. It yeah. should be either they need more sort of uh, supervision, they should always be wearing a life jacket. Mm-hmm. Fill in the blanks. And as far as I'm aware, there was a lack of supervision, uh, but they were allowed to go swimming. And right. this guy who failed the swim test, who was a recent immigrant to Canada mm-hmm. from Ghana, so had no oh, West swim- Africa, yeah, Jeez. no swimming ex- like experience, and he went swimming, and he went down, uh, and with somebody else, yep. and never came back up. And it's unfortunate that it had to ha- it it didn't have to happen, and it shouldn't have happened. And I think, in my opinion, could have been definitely mitigated with more outdoor professionals on the trip. Put a life jacket on. It's not hard. That'd be, like, that's literally, now he does, now that yeah. problem of him going under doesn't happen. It happens for yeah. a foot. His body pushes him for a second, he comes right back up. Yeah, there's not much of a chance that, god damn. Yeah, no, like, even, like, <laughs> I live on the lake. I live on the lake with a uh, bunch of other ADL students, and last night we went up for a paddle. My lake's super shallow, we can stand up what to lake? St. Charles. Okay, yeah. We stand up to our shoulders to, for most of it. Um, and then we're out just going for a rip in our playboats, just like working on some rolls and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Damn, that sounds fun. It's a good time. I, dude, I can, I, for the life of me, sort of cut you out there, can okay. not roll in a kayak. And that's yep. something I need to do. I want That's one of the skills that I'm, I'm trying to learn from a skill, like whole side thing. People don't know is I'm trying to learn one skill from each of the podcast guests I have on. Okay. Right. And it could be something that they instruct to me verbally, or like last week I had Allie on. Shout out to you, Allie. She's gonna teach me how to backflip. Mm-hmm. She's already like talking to me about like mindset to go in, so I'm already like loosened up. She told me it's easier than actually front flipping in terms of safety and stuff. So yeah. that's that's my skill I'm gonna learn from her. So I'm trying to like cherry pick skills. Yeah, no, you can Come on by sometime and uh, we'll get you. Yes. We'll get you in a boat. Yes. We'll I'll bring my own life jacket. That's too. sweet. No, it's like even we were just going for a quick, quick rip, and uh, we ended up uh, all I'm like, all right, everybody through. I didn't even need to say anything. I lived with a bunch of people in ADL, and they all had their PFDs on, ready to, Jeez. ready to go paddling, even though we we're just going around the bay. Right. It's just like also I find, <laughs> and I don't know if you'll agree with me on this, but when I when I worked in camping. And I always had my life jacket. It was always my life jacket. It always had like six whistles, a knife. It, it had like my things, right? And yeah. it was a personal life jacket. Do you relate when you guys like are probably all proud of your life jacket? Uh, my now? life jacket is, you can kind of see it here. Um, it is oh, my, my baby. It's oh, that's sick. I have an astral green jacket, just a plug. And it's like this. Spent way too much. I got a good sale on it, but I'm worth like, it. Worth it. But it's a comfiest life jacket. It's got like a big pocket that opens up, and I can I can put a first aid kit, and then I can write my logbooks and stuff like that. It's got a pocket for a throw bag. 
It's a pullover life jacket. It has so many cool features That's to it. Sick. You can rig up webbing to it, and then the belt acts as a climbing. You can rappel off your heart. What? Life jacket. Yeah. Stop. It's it's really, <laughs> it's a really sick life jacket. Eighteen thousand dollar life jacket. It's like totally. a good whitewater jacket starts at like two hundred bucks, and they go to like four hundred bucks. And like I'm like people spend the money, and once we get them, it's like. You're almost flexing your life jacket when you go do yeah. see your buddies. It's like, oh, check this out. Right. You guys are just going to the beach. You're probably going to be no no more than neck height. But you're yeah. like, no, I'm going to put my life jacket on. It's like, yeah. So, yeah, so it is a pride thing, too. Oh, like, oh it's oh, definitely a pride life jacket. That's pretty sweet. When you have cool gear, especially in like that setting. It's like I was hanging out with my uh, good friends, Jordan and Emily. I guess probably you guys watch the podcast. Shout to them. Um, they were, uh, we were hanging out, and I'm like, I they work in a gear store in Guelph. And I got a brand new sleeping bag that's like just under a pound. And I'm like, check this out. And I threw it on that we're all geeking, geeking out over like how light my sleeping bag is. It's oh, like, it's wild. everybody likes to flex their, like, you got like this gearhead community that just loves to be like, check this out. Like, check out my gear. It's like, we got this like pride in like how cool yeah. our stuff is. And like, we want that like next level technology. Yeah. And that's, it's so fun. See, that's the kind of stuff that, like, when I worked in camping, I was like, okay, I have to have the most absurd amount of stuff attached to my life jacket. Just so I had my hatchet attached to my life jacket. <laughs> Outrageous, completely obnoxious thing to do. But I was like, you know what? I'm going to attach this just in case. I'm pretty streamlined. <laughs> yeah. I like keeping it streamlined because I do a lot of whitewater and I don't want anything attached to it that can actually kill me. Right. Yeah, that hatchet would not be a good Well, yeah. I don't even keep, like, people keep carabiners on the shoulder straps. Yes. Um, I don't ever do that because what happens is if, what happens if I flip my boat and I go for a swim, I, and I get that, that, that gets caught on something. Right. Whether, very well could, yeah. whether my boat, whether it's like a, a tree or something like that underneath, like, uh, then that's holding me down there. So it's like, okay. I like keeping it like streamlined on the life jacket. Wow. Pretty cool. So, <laughs> that, so, I'm going to back up to something. So you mentioned before you started about, you had a zip lining job. <laughs> Yeah. Um, what was that like? I work in the challenge course industry. I'm certified through CY, which is uh, Challenges Unlimited Canada. Um, and they're a really cool organization. Um, I did a bunch of like training through them. I worked here at the Laurentian University course mm -hmm. for uh, about a year. Oh, the vertical one. Yeah, the vertical nice. course. What's it, what's it cost you get in there? Uh, I'm not too sure what the prices are there now, but like I think it's generally like you do like a group booking. I know with the SGA, uh, there's going to be like a some kind of event that they have like an open challenge course thing or something like that. I'm not okay. too certain. Cool. I haven't been affiliated with them for about a year, but they're an awesome place. Definitely check it out. John's a cool guy in the HK office. Um, and then the uh, so I got I I was working at a camp for the beginning of the summer. I just left because of uh, different reasons came up. But there was a, in order to get there, this camp had a triple zip line that was about 200 meters long. Um, and it was this big platform you climbed up. And then this is really cool because it's one of the only ones in Canada that does this. So you take the zip line and you have to uh, you fly down it into the water as your brake. What? You're, so you're hardest in. And then you uh, get lowered off your rope. Bruh. It's so sick. No! Where was this? Uh, this is in Minden. In Minden, okay, so. Yeah. Minden, booyah. Okay. Yeah. Next week, I know where I'm going. Go ahead, you. So you're all harnessed in, and like you got like a rope and a greedy, and then we have people on like a thing called an it bike, which is like a, like kind of like a water bike, and mm -hmm. like pedal, 
over and then they unclip you and then you just swim back. It's a sweet zipline. It's so fun to see the kids on it. In order to get that though, I needed to do CUI level two training, which was like a five day course down at I did a YMCA Pinecrest. Oh, okay. And then I had to also do um, a training um, with the, the TSSA because ziplines are regulated as a um, ziplines are regulated as an amusement device in Canada, which is really cool. We're one of the people that, excuse me, one of the only countries that regulates ziplines uh, because of just insurance wise. Wow. And so I did my training with the TSSA, which served, and I had to do a whole bunch of supervised uh, like inspections and work on it. Right. And I came out as a, um, I think my actual cert, uh, certification title is Zipline Mechanic in Training. Nice, dude. Yeah, so it's a, nice. it's a pretty cool, uh, shit, pretty cool cert to have. Damn. I carry it on my card in my wallet. Just yeah. Can you see it? Yeah. Can you see, what it's like? <laughs> see what it looks like? This, I think, I don't know if this is my Zipline card, but this is my challenge oh, course yeah. operator license. Damn! This is cool. See why the credit as professional veteran of the challenge course technology with it. Ooh. Mm. Full practitioner certification. Operation system dynamic static. Check, check. Special events. Aerial trust drive. Flying squirrel. What's that? Uh, flying squirrel is a system where you have, um, there's, you have, you'll have two large posts. Let it focus in. There we go. Focus up. You'll have two things. Uh, you can use big trees, or you can use um, uh, like posts, like telephone posts. Mm -hmm. And they have got a guy guy line cable going to the top. Okay. And it's like we have a good pulley system at the top of it, and it's like a four to one pulley. So you have one pulley at the top, one pulley at the bottom. You attach a bunch of people to the rope. Uh, everybody gets harnessed in and pulls, and then you have uh, like one kid goes and they like they just run forward as everybody's pulling the rope does, and it launches the kid up in the air. So like they, we call it the flying squirrel, so it just launches them up into the air. That's incredible. It's so funny. Jeez. Okay, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's one. And he's certified in it. Man. That's pretty sweet. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> so, speaking of that, now let's shift over. You... Do you still climb competitively? Uh, I don't climb competitively anymore. I stopped in 2017. Okay. I uh, I was doing pretty well in the like the climbing uh, comp series. Like I actually I trained with your brother. Yeah. A lot. Um, back in the prime. Back in the prime. I, I was pushing grades. Like I was climbing like 512 maybe. Like at like on a good day and like some higher boulder problems. And I was like really working. At, um, unfortunately, I got I got injured. I got a hernia. Yeah, and that really like I, I was coming back from a competition in southern Ontario. I came second in a tour de block. I'm like, oh sweet, this is gonna be a really good season. And unfortunately, it's like, oh, so I got a hernia, and then so I had to take three months off. And then I got back and I started training a bit, and it's it's hard to find that drive. And then I got another hernia because it's really popular if you get like one side like common. If you get one side, you're gonna need to get the other side done because it's so much stronger on the one side, so it pushes a lot more pressure on the other. For people who don't know, can you explain what a hernia is? So I have what's called an inguinal hernia, so it's like on the lower part of my body, like okay. lower, lower part of the abdomen, okay. above the groin, and what happens is uh, it's a shift in your abdominal, I think it's abdominal wall, and what happens is uh, part of your intestine get pushed uh, and can get into a really in uncomfortable position for your body, and it happens a lot to like, power lifters, people who are like really avid workmen, people who put a lot of like force on like, and like like a lot of lifting force and 
something mm-hmm. like that. Um, so like I was doing like a lot of like r- like rowing stuff at the time. I was yeah. climbing. I was doing a lot of like physical labor, and it puts a lot of pressure on your lower abdomen. Mm-hmm. And it's just an injury that can like happen to pretty much anybody. Really common in like older men who are like doing like a lot of like like heavy like physical labor. Oh, okay. Like a lot of like mechanics will get in like like construction workers. But it's just pretty common. Like it's yeah. most. Like it's only like fifty percent of men get them in their life. It's not like it's an incredibly painful experience, but it's just it's an, it's more of an inconvenience because it limits yeah. your motion. And you have to go through surgery. Yeah, you gotta get um the first surgery I got in Sudbury, and then the second one I had, I because I went to a, a clinic in Toronto to get it done. Ah, yeah, Shit. yeah, it happens. But yeah. and I found like at, even after recovery, like I got my last surgery in December, and I, I put out I got really heavy after that surgery and I, I like I lost a lot of that like in that time frame like I lost my joy for climbing because I found a lot of climbing was for me it was not even about like that like going out and enjoying with your friends anymore rock climbing yeah. was about beating people and it was about winning and it was about being the best I can do to kick butt and climbing All right. I hated that aspect of it now because okay. it's like it ruined the fun, it ruined the joy of, I'm just going to go have fun. It's like, no, I need to go out and I need to climb the eight. Right. It's a project. I need to isolate myself on this one climb because I need to climb this grade. I need to beat people. So I really kind of like lost that drive to go to the gym mm-hmm. and climbing it. After my second surgery, man, like I, I just got, I got super heavy. I went up to like 188. What? I'm a, yeah, I'm a pretty small guy. Like I'm not, I'm like 5'10". What? I went up to 188. I've been, yeah. Because I, I was pretty much from the end of November mm-hmm. to like midway through January, all I could do was sit on the couch. Because mm-hmm. I was like, I was just in like, I either was like waiting for the hernia surgery or recovering from it. Right. And so I didn't want to move around. I couldn't be too active, couldn't ice climb, couldn't do anything like that. So it took a while for me to get back into the swing of things. Once I got active again, like, I really changed up my diet in the last like probably four like six months to like a year, like I changed my diet up like 150%. Right. Uh, I started being active again and I'm a bit like down like 168, 170, mm-hmm. like at that range, like that healthy range. And like, nice. I've been going out climbing again and kind of getting that love back for just like that, having a good time, taking people out going mm-hmm. outside and just enjoying the social aspect of it. Right. And it's no longer about that, like I have to win. I see. Yeah. That's frustrating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Wow. Hernias are common, eh? Yeah, pretty mm-hmm. common. Most men will get them yeah. at some point. I feel I'm, I'm like inclined to get one at some point. That's as really much as I don't want to. A lot of the guys in like their later forties will like generally like I was at the clinic. There was a couple other young guys, but like most of the men there were like thirty-five plus. Women have women can get them too. It's just less likely. Right. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Just yeah. the way their bodies are. Yeah. <clears throat> Mm-hmm. So we'll we'll stay on the climbing topic. You climbed Mont Blanc. Yeah. What the fuck was that like, man? Like, tell us how that kind of got started. To why you chose that specific climb. To everything you can about it, because that's yeah. I saw them like that looks pretty high. <laughs> so it's not your average hike. No, it's no, it's uh not. Um, I uh. I really like um, alpine sports. Like I love skiing, I love ice yeah. climbing, love all that kind of stuff. And I find that like I was like, all right, let's let's like think of an adventure. I had a family friend named James. He we call him the world's richest homeless person. He like would travel around taking teaching contracts in the world. 
but he never had a permanent residence for a while, so he lived with us during the summers. Right. James had been to... Is that it? Yeah. Okay. He, James would uh, go do, uh, like, he'd take teaching contracts all around the world. Mm-hmm. And he'd come live with us. Cool. And he'd, he's been to, like, some, like, 40 or 50 countries. Yeah. And, like, or some, even more than that. But he, he said to me when I was, like, 11 years old, I was like, I'll meet you wherever you want in the world. When, uh, no when, kidding. When, when you graduate high school. Meet, uh, go on a trip and I'll meet you wherever you want. I'm like, okay. What? Um, we were going to go to Patagonia because I really wanted to go climbing right. down there. That's South America? That's, like, the... Uh, tip of South America right. um, but I didn't really account for the fact that it would be the winter season and it'd be really hardcore to climb there and be like cold minus 40 <laughs> it, like it's almost Antarctic temperatures because it's so close <clears throat> no uh, I decided I decided <clears throat> against that one yeah um, fair and I was like okay where's a cool spot to go climbing and like everything kind of pointed to Chamonix France mm-hmm. and there's a mountain there called Mont Blanc right. and it borders France Italy and Switzerland, Switzerland yeah um, <clears throat> And I was like, hey, well, this this seems like a cool spot. I texted James. I'm like, hey, do you want to just travel Europe? I'm like, sure. And he says, sure. And we decided, I'm like, all right, let's spend a... Yeah, it was funny. Yeah, I just said, yeah, sure. He's like, sure, I'll meet you there. <laughs> um, but I told him, I'm like, come 10 days uh, like later. Um, and we met 10 days after. So I graduated high school. Like, I finished my last exam on June t- uh, 27th, 2017. Mm-hmm. And I got on a plane June thirtieth, uh, and I flew to Fran- uh, I flew to Paris, then I flew to Switzerland. I took a bus to Chamonix, hung up there for a couple days. Wow! I was there for Canada one fifty. That was really cool. I, there was a little Canadian bar. Was there? Yeah, that I, I, like, oh, was pretty Canadian themed bar in Chamonix, and I, I I was owned by some Canadian guy. They're celebrating Canada today. That's wild. So you had uh, a couple pints there. Yeah, sure. hung out with them for a while. Um, Went to the Arcteryx Alpine Academy, which was like a, a week-long thing they were running there. Yeah, it was pretty cool. We got to climb, like, you get some training from, like, some of the greats, like Hazel Finley, uh, Will Gad, like, world-renowned climbers, and got to, like, go to, like, these training, like, workshops that they were holding in the village. That's pretty cool. It was really, really cool. Were um, those free? Or absolutely free, yeah. No! Yeah, some of them would cost money to, like, go up. Like, they had some was like, oh, yeah, we're gonna, uh, we're working on advanced backcountry skiing. Right, if you want to go come, yeah, but you, you have to pay. You gotta pay, like, okay. a bit to do, go sense. up the, the lifts and stuff right. like that. So, but, like, like free, like, online training. It was put sweet. on by Arteryx, all of it. <clears throat> and, like, they had a bouldering cop in the town, and they had, like, a hangboard competition. Oh, I didn't incredible. do well in the hangboard. I won the bouldering comp in my division. Nice, dude. But it was, it was really cool. They had, like, a bunch of, like, stuff like that going on. Um, that sounds wild. But then they, uh, like, I linked up beforehand. Like, one of the reasons I went to Chamonix is they had a company called Mont Blanc Guides. Right. And it's a six-day mountaineering course. Mm-hmm. And the first thing you do is you get there, meet your team. I had, it was the craziest thing. Here's me, this 18-year-old kid who's been saving all of high school to go here. Mm-hmm. And like putting all my effort and money and time into this, like getting here, and I've got some of the richest people in the world around me. Like, I've got a guy who worked for the Democratic Party uh, of, um, in the states. He worked for, like on Hillary Clinton's campaign. Oh wow! I worked. There was a guy there named Jim Ligopoulos. He is one of the leading neurosurgeons in Oceania, like in Australia, and like the world. I like in there we had lawyers. We had a guy, an orth, like a guy who owned his own orthodontist thing that like changed the states. So, like, so and you I, just finished your high school. I just diploma. finished high school. Like, what? These people are like, oh, here's a cool thing. I'm like, yeah, hey guys. 
and like I had a girl who was like a personal shopper to celebrities, like Jen O'Neill. I still like I still chat with her every now and then. I'll, but she's like in her thirties, and she's like, "Is this Jen O'Neill?" Jen O'Neill, really right. cool. Do you, how do you uh, stay in touch with her? I they will send. She sends me like um, like a message on Instagram or Facebook every now and then, oh, and be nice. like, "Hey, how are, like like how are things?" Really cool. So we end up going, send her a message. Be like, yo, check out the podcast. Check out the if podcast. You, if you like it, my buddy will come to wherever the fuck you are in the world. <laughs> yeah, we'll sit down, and chat. We ended up um, hang like um, the first thing we did is like we meet the guides and all that stuff. We got here, um, and we go over to uh, we drive to Italy, uh, and we climb a mountain called Gran Paradiso, which is the highest mountain in Italy. Okay, it's about four thousand two hundred meters. Uh, above sea level. Okay. We climbed that in two days. Right. Um, just so that we, we get used to the altitude, we come back down, mm-hmm. have drinks in the village, all that stuff, and then uh, spend the night in Chamonix village. And then we, then it starts Mont Blanc. Right. Um, a lot of my group members decided that they, uh, and at suggestion of the guides, that they weren't actually fit to climb. Okay. So they, they wouldn't just let anybody climb. So it actually ended up being that I got, we had more guides than we needed. So everybody got their own personal guide. There was, um, and then some people joined last minute saying like, okay, I'm gonna try it. So there was me um, with a guy named Neil, really, really cool guy. He runs a, um, a guide company over there, but he works for Mont Blanc. And he, so I, I was, and Neil was my climbing guide. And then I had, there was Tom. Tom was from Czech, uh, Czech area and he uh like he owned like a, a business over there and he's a really cool guy but he was a machine man would smoke like two packs a day but could climb faster than anybody what he set the comp the guide company's record for speed on the mountain it was wild um and then the, then jen and a guy named dave post really cool guy um they they tried climbing it but they were with just like one other guy they were not favored to actually summit Oh, okay. So we all left at the same time. Um, one guy, actually Eric, he backed out last minute. Like he starts climbing, he's like, you know what, like I can't. Do it. Like we, he made it up to the hut on Mont Blanc, and then he decided, like, no, we can't. We, and we camped there the night, and then we started to climb in the morning, like the the really steep part. We started at three thousand eight hundred meters, and we had to get to uh, four thousand eight hundred and seven meters. Eric decided, like, no, I'm I'm out. And then the other two were told they had to turn around. We had a very short window to make it work because right. with mountaineering, there's weather. We left at 4 a.m. We have to be back off the mountain in the hut by 2 o'clock two because wow. of the weather. So we started climbing, and I, I like Tom, Tom passed me by like hours. Um, and I ended up just climbing up. I spent a ton of like, and it was really, it's a, it's a daunting experience because like you don't, you're not, your body's not meant to function that high. Especially right. with somebody who's like, I live at Sudbury, I'm at 280 meters above sea level. Yeah, and then you... I'm at 4,000. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's like every kind of breath is labored and you think you get it. It's just walking and like ice climbing a bit. Right. And like just scrambling over rocks. So like pa- on paper, it's not that difficult seemingly. Yeah. But then, because it's like, oh, you can walk, but then you're walking up and you're so high. Yeah, like you're so high, high, you're sweating, right. and then, but it's also nice. It's minus ten out and it's windy, so you're freezing. It's like this weird mix of like it's right. so it's such an mental and emotional battle. And I made it up to the top finally, and it was awesome. But I'm like all I think, but I'm like I just want to go down. Done. They did not hit yeah. me until like after the fact. I'm like I just climbed the highest mountain in Europe. 
it's like it didn't hit me till like well after because like that's all I could think of like I just want to go down right now that's pretty sweet it's so grueling but is the highest mountain in Europe there there's there's it's the highest mountain in Europe I'd say there's two there's other two schools of thought not people say Mount Elbrus in Russia is the highest mountain in Europe but Russia's not in Europe in my opinion because it's Russia's an Asian country but it's because of interesting so they there's like contention whether like some people call it Mont Blanc the highest mountain in Europe in traditional Europe itself like as in like what we think of as Europe yes Mont Blanc is yeah. the highest then when you go like Russia like in the eastern uh, side of sorry western side of Russia is Mount right. uh, is Mount Elbrus which is like five thousand seven hundred or something like that and they're uh, they're uh, they're not a uh, People think that's the highest, I think, but it's, it just depends on opinion, really. European Russia is the western part of the Russian Federation, which is part of Eastern Europe, but popular. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, yeah, okay. So I see what you mean. Yeah. It's like traditional Europe. Okay. Yeah, so Interesting. people say continental Europe. Like, so like, what, like the actual continent of Europe, not yeah. including Russia. But Russia is also a lot bigger than Europe as itself. Yeah. That's that's the point of contention on that yeah. one. It's like, is Russia is Elbrus? Because when people do seven summits, they'll either consider Mont Blanc or Mount Elbrus. Mm-hmm. So how much higher is Mount Elbrus? Elbrus is about like twelve hundred meters higher, I think, a thousand meters higher. Oh, okay. so, which is a big difference. It's a big difference when we're talking climbing a mountain yeah. above sea level, not twelve hundred yeah. meters as like a walk to the completion oh. story. The thing is, think about walking down the road. Okay. Now just picture that completely vertical. That's the perspective. It's like that's oh, twelve hundred yeah, meters. Okay. Think about think about going over yeah. just give or take like four times around the little wrench and track, but walking that straight as a ladder. Like that's that's the height. Twelve hundred meters up a ladder. Yeah. In like, freezing cold. Yeah. Not being able to breathe too well. It's it's cool. Oh yeah, yeah. Conditions wise, sounds that sounds insane. I posted a, a photo recently. <laughs> asking like people like suggestions like where my next like trip should go yeah i'm curious what yours is but before i ask you what have you ever thought of everest base camp because that was one friend of mine commented i was like oh that sounds sick so i've got kind of like i sound really pretentious and douchey when i talk about everest okay is that i don't think i i would have, i would never go to everest what is that everest is a tourist trap Anybody with $80,000 can climb Everest. People don't, like, I, and I'm saying, like, I'm not saying climbing Everest is easy, but there's, it's not, people say, oh, it's the hardest mountain in the world. No, it's not. No. It is just the, the highest. highest mountain in the world. People, there, I think this year there's like 450 summits, give or take, on Everest. There's about a five-day window that you can climb Everest. Mm-hmm. So you're waiting in line. There's a John Krakauer, a famous author, he wrote Into the Wild and Into Thin Air. Yeah, yeah. So he was actually yeah, on I've read into thin air. Into thin air. So you're familiar with the disaster that happened on Everest. Yeah, that movie. He took a picture Same. of this lineup on the Hillary Step of probably 200 people. Four people, I think, died standing in that line. I wait in line everywhere else in the world. The last place I want to wait in line is on a mountain. Yeah, it seems kind of silly. Everest has become this very commercialized, very idea, like commercialized thing. There's mm-hmm. Like eighty thousand tons of trash on the mountain. It's this thing where it's like people pay their way up. You get so much fever, and people. I'm not worried about my own climbing ability failing me. I'm worried about somebody else's who's not experienced killing me. I'm not a very experienced climber. 
uh, in the grand scope of things. But even if I had that time to devote to Everest, I don't think I would. Just because Everest is like, it seems really cool to stay on top of the world, but at what cost? Like, is it really worth it? When you have this, like, when you've got Sherpa families who are dying for other people, like you got Sherpas, like you got Sherpas, like who are being mistreated. You got guide companies that are just making a killing off this. Or people are paying eighty thousand dollars to climb this mountain. That's the going price, really. They're paying sixty to eighty thousand dollars for me to climb independently. You couldn't even do to climb it with like a team. Right. Would cost me still about twenty eight thousand dollars in permits and all that stuff. So it just seems like Not really, it's a really cool track. It's a beautiful area. I, I just don't support a lot of the Everest tourist kind of mentality. Mm. Just because it's like, it'd be really cool. Everest Base Camp, I think, is 6,884 meters, uh, 6,800 something meters. It was really high up. But I just don't know how much I can support, I can support like um, Everest tourism myself. Or it's just too commercialized. It's too commercialized, in my opinion. Um, and it's just like, there's a lot of risk associated to it just because of people's inexperience. Like we talked about mm-hmm. earlier, it's just like, there's so much inexperience there. It's like I'm a neurosurgeon from the states, and I make I make millions of dollars a year. I'm gonna go climb Everest because this is a cool thing to do. Yeah. It's the same reason people go over and like they go trophy hunting in Africa. It's something they can do. Yeah, because they have the money to do it. They have the money to do it. Damn. That I, annoys me. Yeah, like it, it 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 bothers me a bit. So like that's why I wouldn't climb it myself. There's so there's so many other great mountains in the mm-hmm. world, and so many other cool and in Nepal itself, like. There's so many other amazing peaks to climb and places to check out. Like you can do like, instead of like Everest Base Camp, there's like Annapurna Circuit where you can do like a trek around Annapurna, which is like a really cool mountain range there over there. Um, And like Annapurna would be like one of my dreams to climb. I think it's like, it's one of the 8,000s. If there's like 10 mountains over 8,000 meters, this would be like an end goal, like in my Mm -hmm. 40s or something like that. Like Uh, your last mountain. Like one of my last mountains would be the uh, like Annapurna. there's like four different Annapurna peaks, but like, and some of them haven't even really been climbed, like climbed very much because they're so dangerous. But like Annapurna one, I think, has like gets like it's got something like a thousand summits total. Jeez. Just because not a lot of people want to go there because it's just easier to climb Everest, right? Because you just pay your way there and okay. go. And you don't need to trek in for four days, five days. Mm-hmm. Um, well, but yeah, like people do that. Like I, my friend James, I was talking about earlier, my family friend that he did like he went trekking in Annapurna. Like on the, around the Annapurna, there's so many companies that'll take you in that area, and it's really cool spots. Still, mm-hmm. it's not it's not Everest Base Camp, but it's still really high up. It's really amazing. Nice. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Shit. <laughs> and so there's actually a photo I want to get. I want to ask you about, okay. but as I do that, you posted one a while ago about I don't know where you were. In the say was South America? Nicaragua. Nicaragua it was in South America. You knew exactly what I was talking about. So, imagine if trees gave free Wi-Fi, we'd be all planting like crazy. It's a pity they only give us oxygen we breathe. I like this one. Mm -hmm. I think I double tapped. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely did. Yes. Okay, worth it. So, why were you in Nicaragua? Um, So, I had a really cool opportunity. Um, My mom's a teacher at St. Charles. I don't go to St. Charles. I didn't go there, um, but my I, I climbed with the teacher that runs like the physics program cool. over there, and he was running a trip to every year. St. Charles does a uh, like a trip somewhere in South America, or like South America or like that that region. 
Right. Um, and it's, it's done as an ecotourism trip. So like you pay, you pay way on, it's a high school credit. You learn Spanish and you gotta go in a real life like I think 12 or 13 days. And I was there like learning about permaculture farming and ecotourism and sustainable practices over that way. Mm-hmm. And that was like, that photo was taken the first night there. I was there on Earth Day. Nice. And it was my first day there. And I, uh, that was at the hostel we were staying at. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. And what was your favorite part about the trip? Uh, I love Nicaragua. Like there's very few countries, like I've been to like, I think 15 or something like that now. 16 maybe, um, and I always think like, oh yeah, like, uh, like I, there's very few places I'd like, oh yeah, it was great to go, but I, I don't know if I'd go back. Nicaragua is the place yeah. to go back. Damn, I don't want to go to Nicaragua. I spent, um, I spent four or five, five days living with like a local family in like very far remote Nicaragua in a little place called Tlotalgalpa, mm-hmm. and we were working on solar farming. Like they had a solar farm there, okay. and like they're like we're le- learning about that stuff and from them and I was oh. staying with this like family that didn't speak any English at all. Just Spanish? Just Spanish. Oh senor. You have a poco de español. Like, si, here we go. So <laughs> learn as well. So like it was like it was really cool that experience of like living like completely remote and like mm-hmm. it's like you are so far away from everybody you know and there's nothing you can do. Really and there's no street lights, there's no cars really. Yeah. There's you're so far off in the mountains. Like the only thing going through is like a pan, the Pan American Highway, and I guess the only yeah. like road going through it. And there's like a whole bunch of dirt roads and stuff like that. We're living in this like house made of adobe, which is like uh, like a, like their clay mortar kind of thing. It's mm-hmm. like, like their version of cement. Yep. Yeah. And like it was really cool, but it's like we're so far away, like away from everything else. So how familiar are you with the rainforest disasters now? I have you seen it? Uh, yeah, so I've seen it. I've been taking that bit of a stance of like, I hate to say this, but almost igno- ignoring it. In what way? Like, I, I think it's a terrible thing that's going on down there, the fact that there's a, like all this stuff. But if I when it comes to social media, like I, when there's things like, um, for example, like Notre Dame, or things like the abortion uh, issue a couple of mo- a months ago, stuff like that, I really just kind of, Step away from all these mainstream. Disasters. I step away from my phone. Topics, okay. Just because people get so agitated without being uh, without being educated. And when you say agitated, do you mean people who are like, "This is bullshit! I can't believe this happening." Yeah, you know, like what are they doing? Or you know, like, yeah, pe- people like that. So I I, I yeah. tend to like try and distance myself from it because it's like unless I'm willing to educate myself about it and like spend the time and like that effort and like really kind of look at it from all angles, I don't want to be the one that's going to get upset about other people for not. Right. And I find that I often get upset when I look at stuff, like, I, see, I get upset when I see people's reactions when they're not doing anything about it. Yeah. It's like, oh, I'm upset because the crowd's upset. I, I, I think that's a lot, like, people would, people, sh- I think there's people who genuinely care about the rainforest and, like, genuinely, like, it's a terrible, yeah. like, the burning. And that's like, why I went and worked there for two weeks. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's, that's important part. It's people like that actually care about it, but then it's the people that are just like, oh, republished a story because it makes me that I'm involved. Interesting. That those people yeah. piss me off. Like that that upsets me. Like the people that just republish just because it's like this is what's current. And now here's the thing, though. I'm gonna counter your. Argument. Please do. So, because I posted a story about it. However, my intention, and I think what I try to do with this, and in these situations, this one specifically, most yeah, <laughs> less so, but. With stories I try to post because 
if you read the story specifically that I posted, not many people posted that. I, I did read yours. Yeah. It's an attempt to educate it. Yeah. Right? It's a, hey, this post has this, or this is the guy who's working there in it. This is what he has to say about it. This is kind of... Because people want quick. They yeah. want quick, they want fast, they want easy. It's that they don't want to do the research themselves. Yeah. Right? So if they don't want to do that research themselves, and I've already done enough about re enough research about it where I can... I can channel something or I can I can weigh my opinion in but since I'm not going to I'll let someone else kind of educate people quickly yeah and the guy was in the rainforest yeah in the post and so I'm like okay he's there right behind him you see the issue people don't know they just hear rainforest on fire and then they everyone blows their minds but they don't visualize it they just blow it out of proportion and yeah. they want that quick easy explanation but they don't want to research it it's yeah like Here's everything you want, but won't do. Look into what this guy's talking about. I, I would, yeah, I'd support something like that 100%. It's like more of that, like, people like, I forgot, like, there's people like memes and stuff like that. Like, not like memes, uh, but about it, but like, yeah. or people like, just like, uh, like, oh, like, like, no one cares about this. Like, uh, like, like when Notre Dame, like, stop, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a wildfire. Right. In the building. It's no, a, it's not Notre Dame. This is a different thing. This yeah. Is a, like, stop comparing the two. Like, don't, please don't compare them. They it's, both are their own entity yeah. that both sucked. Yeah. And sucks when they happen. But the thing with all that, <coughs> excuse me, is a lot of people don't, they don't want to educate themselves, but yeah. they still want to be their opinions to be heard. Yeah. You know it's okay to not say something about it, which is why, like, your approach where you're like, I'm just going to go off my phone because social media does that to me, and you're aware of it. It's something that people don't, we don't realize as a, as a society that's very harming. Yeah. It's harmful, sorry. It's very, very, it scares me. It, yeah, it scares me. I, I would agree. Over it's just, this is me, like, this, like, I need to be heard. It's like I want people to be educated and just because you don't have an opinion about something it's okay to say you don't yeah like to not contribute that's fine there's that's what one thing specifically with some there's a couple like female friends I had a while ago and it's like you don't have to always put your input into things yeah it's like oh no look at me it's like oh. I did this post when it came to Notre Dame because I was so tired of it. Have you been to Notre Dame? Yeah, I was there. Oh, like, me too. Nice. Unpopular opinion, people posting pictures of Notre Dame saying they're sad are just flexing that they've been to Paris. <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Also, Pete, this pic I took in Paris. Because I'm... <laughs> <laughs> That's like kind of what a lot of the Notre Dame was. Is people are talking about it like it's their grandfather dying. It's like, yo, I've been to... Paris too, but I didn't post yeah. about it. That that was I found a lot of the what like there's two sides of the Notre Dame thing. Both both got me upset for some reason, so I chose to back away with this. Good point. Is there's yeah. the the side that says I'm upset because it's the because um, Notre Dame burned down, mm -hmm. and then there's the upset people who are upset because somebody donated money to rebuild it. People are like oh spend money on the environment. It's like this guy just this guy spent a lot of his money because he likes this. When we realize it, there wasn't a lot of people that don't. It's not like this mass donation pool. It was like there's people, billionaires donated to this. Yeah, and they donate a couple million dollars. Yeah, it's, it's like five people donate five thousand $5, dollars. It's or five million dollars. It's twenty-five like, million dollars. Yeah. It's so people. I, that's why I wasn't upset about people donating. The right. It's like, well, they should spend it on the environment. I'm like, they don't want to. It's their money. 
let them do what they want. We can't then we no one focuses on the fact that there are people that are actually spending so much money and yeah. organizations that are spending so much money on environmental issues without like somebody donated to a building that burned down and I'm upset. Right. How long were you in Paris for though? I think I was in Paris for six days. Six days? Yeah. Just did like um I was over there with James and we did like after leaving Chamonix, like we just went like on a tour like a whole bunch of other like European countries. Like I did like went to like that's fun because I did like I had a Euro pass so I could just hop on the train whenever I wanted. That's sweet. So like I did nice. one day where I had breakfast in Rome, lunch in Florence, and dinner in Venice. It was the coolest day. That's not too bad. Yeah, no, I had like breakfast in Paris by the train station, then I had lunch at I had pizza in Florence and then a seafood at, in Venice. So I did a bunch of traveling around there and I finished in Paris. I think it was like five days or something. Yeah. Something like that. And I, we bought a scooter and we each bought scooters in Berlin from some toy store and just used those to get around. Like a little scooter? Oh, like, yeah. Just like, oh, like, full, like, like kick scooters and stuff. No. Kick scooters. So I used oh, that with hilarious. like a big Osprey backpack and just, I covered so much distance in Europe. Bet, it was dude. hilarious. Buddy and I did, uh, we rented longboards and we were in Budapest and Barcelona. Okay. And I think next time I go on any of those trips, I want a longboard. Yeah. Because, dude, like you said, with it scooters, so it's the exact same thing. It's like you cover so much distance, you do two little foot pushes, yeah. and just. No, way. like, I ended up, there's a, a climbing gym in Berlin that's, uh, sorry, in, yeah, it's Berlin. And I wanted to just train a bit um, um, and just climb while I was over there. And so I traveled, like, I took an Uber there, and I'm like, I brought my scooter with me, and I just scootered home. It's like, like, and there was across town. It was like 10k, and it, like that made that scooter, scootering made it like feel like yeah. nothing. It's interesting too when you're traveling and then you're doing all the, and you're scootering and you're like skateboarding and stuff. Because when my buddy and I skateboarded all around, we were longboarding probably for like six hours. Yes, and we were like, you know, once we have water, we're fine. And then we're just like, man, you know, this isn't too bad. But if I were to do something at that speed, for like if I were to run for like that oh, speed done. for six hours, it'd be like not a chance, man. Absolutely not. Oh, it was bad. But like <laughs> uh, the first couple of weeks, we walked. Um, like first of the trip, like I was, I was in Rome, and I think I like have it on my like health app. It's like I did like walks on like forty something kilometers that day. Like we got up at like seven, and I didn't stop walking till like eleven o'clock. We saw everything by foot in your um, Spanish steps. Colosseum, Hand of Truth, all this stuff. We just walked across all of Europe and the Vatican and just to, all, all throughout Rome just to see wow. this. It was crazy. Like 40 kilometers of walk yeah. in a day. Like 40,000 oh, steps. Man. It's like, oh man. Just incredible. And we kept doing that and did the same thing in Venice, but it's like, man, we get to Munich and I'm just like walking down the road, like hanging out. We were, we were at the sports store. I was checking out some climbing gear and James, like, James is in his 40s, and he's a great guy. Stood in his wedding a couple weeks back, and it was nice, really dude. awesome. Um, I'm definitely going to link him to this. But it was, uh, I just see him, this like this middle-aged big guy coming out of a, of a toy store, like a, of a climbing and like equipment store, yeah. and he's just riding a scooter like a kid, just around, like <laughs> doing donuts in like the square in Munich. Mm-hmm. I'm like, awesome. Yes. That's it. Yeah, it sounds like no G. Yeah, and then I, I was like, no, I'm not gonna buy a scooter. That's stupid. Yeah. Three days later, we're in Berlin. I'm like, I need a scooter. Yeah. 
Hey, uh, James, I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna dip out. I'm gonna go to Toys R Us for a minute. <laughs> was it Toys R Us? There was a Toys R Us I bought my scooter at. That's not too bad. It was good. Did they have longboards and stuff? Or where in Sudbury could I get a longboard? In Sudbury? Yeah. Because it probably sucked to ride them in here, but I'm sure they're Yeah, I'm not too sure. I'm, I've never, like, I don't scooter much. I don't like longboard much, like, at all. Um, I don't know, like, maybe store, like, Zoomies in the mall. I don't, I don't know if Sessions does, like, uh, yeah, like Sessions true. Ride Company. Right. They might have something. I think they have scooters. I could ask my buddy John, because my buddy John runs Sessions. Okay. Yeah, he trains Jiu-Jitsu with me. Oh, sweet. So. That's something I want to get into myself. Uh, yeah? Yeah. Jiu-Jitsu? I'm looking at getting into Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Dude, if you're going to try anywhere, and this is my plug, this is where I'm going to plug the, the family, the familia, train at True. Mm-hmm. I'm that's what I'm looking at. I'm 100% biased, but I'm also 100% have a reason to be biased. Between the quality of instructors to the level of like intensity that we all train at to the variety of skills and different like weights that you have, yeah. like it's not just a bunch of big guys who are all purple belts. It's there's a bunch of white belts, a bunch of blue belts, but and they're all good. They've all been doing it for a while. They all have that experience cool. and stuff. And then Professor Monkey is like, I can only say the best things about him. It's like the smartest guy. Sweet. He's a brick shit house. Like he's insane. Sweet. He's a smart guy, everything. Like I'm looking forward to him coming back in the gym because he just uh, fought at Worlds. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Um, train it true. You'll love the people. You'll love the level of Intensity. I know my buddy Rogan's been going, yeah, going there, and he he's been loving it. So like, I think that's where I'm gonna, like, when I decide whether I want to get into it or not, and like check check it out there. I know they have like a, I don't know if it's a free week or a free day, whatever it is. They have free like free something just to get your foot in the door and see what it's like. So yeah, no, yeah. I'm, I'm definitely hoping to check that out soon. Nice. That's a, I've been watching a lot of like I had an ex girlfriend who like their like her brother used to host like. MMA nights whenever there's a fight night at the house, and I would go over for every fight night. Uh, like I, I just really got into like watching MMA, and UFC. Yeah, so I, I love it. And it's like oh, I don't care how violent it is. Like it's, I, it's awesome to watch. I find if you learn Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, UFC fights get turned up a lot more. Yeah. In terms of interest, like I'm a lot more interested in a fight now that I have the very basic understanding of what's going on on the ground and what to look for. That's not just, oh, one guy's really good wrestler, one guy's really good boxer, let's yeah. see what happens. It's like, if they go to the ground, let's, like, you you have an, yeah, as they, much of an understanding, it's not just one-dimensional, it's like whoever gets hit more, yeah, like, loses, it's like, no. But yeah. now you get to see more technical, and you're looking at it, and you're enjoying a lot like more of the fights and everything, so. Yeah, no, that, I find, like, as I've been, like, I've been doing a lot more research into it and just watching all that stuff, and that's the cool part, is, like, noticing, like, as I research yeah. it more, it's like, I appreciate it, like, I was... Watching a, a Habib heavy, heavy fight, a couple of like, <laughs> like man, awesome. Yeah, dude, he's he smashes. He's a man. crazy. It's like just watching him on the ground. It's like as soon as he like it's terrifying. All like with the McGregor fight, it's like all he all he needed to do was get McGregor on the ground. Cause, that's it though. And that was it. I'm like it was so cool to watch. It's terrifying that that's he does that with every single person he fights. He does it against everyone from amateurs in his beginning, not amateurs, but like not as high class and mm-hmm. in the beginning to world champions. He's just gonna pick them up, right? Punch them in the face. Yeah. It's like, <coughs> so I know a bunch of us probably watching that fight on um, whatever it comes out of the in September. I know it's in Abu Dhabi, but I don't know what the, the next day. 
probably September 5th, 7th? Yeah. 7th would make sense. Yeah. But I'm not sure. I think we're in. Yeah, I think it's Toronto the 7th. Yeah. Okay. That's pretty strange. No, yeah. I'm, I'm, hope, I'm excited to watch that. Gonna get the pay-per-view there. Try it out and let me know if you do yeah. and you, on the day you go, so then I'll be there. And it's, Sounds good. Yeah. Great bunch of, bunch of people. I have only good things to say. Yeah. So, <laughs> I lucked out too, because when I asked my buddy, I was like, yo, like, Steph, like, where'd you train? Like, where should I train? Like, I'm looking, I'm moving to Sudbury now. Like, where could I, where would you recommend training? He's like, I'll train at Troop. I was like, yeah, okay. Sweet. And then just, yeah, no, a year I'm, later. All I've heard is good things from yeah. like different, like, uh, I know there's like a brand of Aster I follow, like Andre. Uh, like what the fiel is his yeah. Instagram page, and he uh, like he he was plugging troop like I, I think it was, and like my buddy Rogan's there, and I think his buddy Devin's like there's a bunch of guys I know that are like going over there, and they're they're loving it like so I think I'll, I'll be checking it out soon. It's it's the it's the best. Yeah, that's it. That's all I can say. I can't really like clarify that even any more than it is what it is. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> man. How long were you in Europe for? Like, how long did you do that Europe trip? Uh, I think I was there for about 31 days. 31 days? Yeah. Where'd you go? Like, what was the start of it? Like, you started in Montpellier? So, yeah, I started in Chamonix. Okay. Um, right after that was when the travels began. I took a bus from Chamonix to Geneva. I took a train from Geneva to Milan, Milan to Rome, Rome to Florence, Florence to Venice, Venice to Salzburg, Austria, Salzburg to uh, Munich, Munich to Berlin, Berlin to Hamburg. Mm-hmm. Hamburg to Amsterdam, nice. Amsterdam to Brussels, and Brussels to Paris. So I was out for a while. Okay, it's a good time. Speaking of Amsterdam, that's why I brought the Heineken. But I saw a photo on your gram about something. So, um, and so there was a photo about when you were in Amsterdam. Okay, correct. So it's this one, right? Yeah. So familiar. Now let's go to mine and go down. And I think if I'm correct, it might be the other side. I'm shooting up other side of the bridge, other side of the bridge, but then there's mine. That's so it's cool. like, that's pretty funny. Yeah. So I was like, Oh shit. Like I had a friend of mine named uh, Michaela. She's on a couple weeks ago. Shout out to her. She, um, <laughs> I posted a photo of Monaco. Okay. Right. When I was there, um, and then she sent me a message on Facebook and she had, turns out that she was just in that city where I was. Yeah. Like the exact same place and took a photo and sent me the photo. She's like, yo, I was just here. It's crazy. Like, <laughs> That's sick. Where do you find though that like, what's sir? Where do you find traveling fits into like life? Like where do you think is the best time to go? Cause I find when you're young, you don't have money to do whatever you can older. Like, I don't think there's any perfect time. I think it's going to be really subjective. Like, there's the guys who work nine to five every week and like six days a week. They're not going to have the time. There's guys like me who have a very kind of open schedule, who work a lot when they can, but they're in in those free times I'm doing short trips like around around Ontario, Um, stuff like that. I think the perfect time to travel is really when you have time for it. I like... I worked at Romacos for years, and a lot of what my job was is I was selling people backpacking stuff. Mm-hmm. And I was selling people stuff to go to Europe. And oh, people okay. oftentimes were, I had people of all ages coming in. I thought that was awesome. It's like I had people who were really young going with their parents. I had people who were, like, and that's one of the things I'm very grateful for. Growing up, my family did a lot of, like, a lot of my traveling has been done with my family. Mm-hmm. 
like when I was young, like, I don't know how many countries it was, but like I've been to like, something like 12 different like little islands in the Caribbean. Like, wow. like yeah, I ended a cruise when I was like eight. And then I've done like extra traveling, like in that area with my family and mm -hmm. all like, and the states with my family and just yeah. different things like that. And like, and I've gone to BC with my dad and like, all those times, I think that's awesome. Cause I get like, so I, I even like, even though I was young, like I had, I can still remember that people are like, right. I hear people saying like, oh, I shouldn't take my kids traveling because like, I because they're not gonna remember it. No, if I think that's absolutely like, it's a bad idea. Because yeah. no, like they're gonna remember it. Right. I think it's an awesome idea to take your kids traveling. They're gonna learn a lot more there than they're gonna learn like, like well, I don't want them to miss school. They're gonna learn a lot more out there. Yeah. I don't remember anything I learned in. I remember catching up when I was in grade two because mm -hmm. I missed uh, like a week. I remember doing the catch up work. I don't remember anything that I learned during. I remember doing the work. Mm -hmm. I don't remember any of the work, but I remember that trip. Right. I remember that trip really well. I went to Finland with my grandfather. That was awesome. Like when I was a kid, like you know, all these really amazing experiences. So I really think like, and I look at this like my dad was in his forties when I went to Finland with him, and my and his dad who was in his eighties, um, and I was, I was twelve. So it's like, was that really cool that like everybody took something different out of this? So I think the perfect time to travel is really just whenever you can. Like, it's like, if you have the opportunity, you have the money and the finances, and there's always ways of doing it too. Right. People are like, I can't travel, it's too expensive. It's like, really, how much money are you spending on Tim Hortons a week? How much money are you spending on Starbucks a week? That, like, okay, if I, if I drop $2 today on a coffee and maybe the next day, like, hey, I spent $8, yeah, eight, eight, eight sure. a week. It's like, okay, put that away for like, Mm -hmm. You do that for like a year and a half and throw like any pocket change away. Right. There you go. Like you got enough money to go for a nice little trip. Like you might not have tons of might not seem like a lot in the moment, but like after a while that adds up and you can go on a really cool trip. Mm -hmm. So yeah, true. there's always ways of doing these tr uh, trips. Okay. That's what I think. So whenever somebody can do it, they should. Whenever somebody can do it, they should. Now to end it off, do you have a quote that you live by? Just one before the battery dies. Not that I could think of really. Like, uh, it's a Yvonne Chouinard quote. Uh, Yvonne Chouinard is the guy who created Patagonia. Yeah. Um, and he created Patagonia and Black Diamond. Oh, cool. uh, so he's a really cool environmental. He's got a book called um, Let My People Go Surfing. He's got several books out, and all, all of them are amazing. Uh, I'm going to just, I'm going to look up the quotes so I don't butcher it. Okay. Um, but he, it was in his book, Let My People Go Surfing, like, that's, Oh man, he's got two now that I'm thinking from that book. Um, I'll say the one right from this book that, because like, it'll apply more to this podcast. Sweet. Um, it's talking about when it comes to his like, he's talking about his gear lineup. Yeah. And that philosophy was like why people shouldn't buy a ton of stuff. It's like the more you know, the less you need. The more you know, the less you need. So it's like. Damn, that's cool. Yeah. I like that a lot. Yvonne Schwinnard's awesome book. It was in Let My People Go Surfing. Okay. And it's that was, I'm like that's exactly like what I <laughs> my kind of my approach from a, a lot of different things. I'm gonna write them down. Yeah. I'm gonna do that. Right, so the more you know, the less you need. Awesome, buddy. I really appreciate your time, man. Yeah.